You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. So we've got this prayer of consecration. You might say, what in the world is that? We're going to pray it to prepare our hearts for the message today. But starting on Tuesday, my wife Karen and I and Joy Percival, we're going to be going to an event called New Room. And um, Joy's actually been a couple of times over the last few years, and I went to my first New Room gathering. It's not a conference. New Room gathering last year in Tennessee. I had to move it to Dallas or the Dallas area out in Texas. So we're going out to Texas for a New Room, and there are uh, churches and pastors from all over that will go to um, this event called New Room. And many of you in this church subscribe to a devotion called Seedbed, um, well, Seedbed is the group. The devotion is called Wake Up Call. And every morning, Karen and I, we, we do the Wake Up Call devotion. And um, it's a prayer of consecration that we start with. And I thought it would be wonderful for us to begin with this prayer together. I'll have it up here for those who are watching online. And if you've got the card here, you can use the card. And we'll do this together. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus, I belong to you. I lift up my heart to you. I set my mind on you. I fix my eyes on you. I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we belong to Jesus, and our hearts belong to Jesus, then we want to take every opportunity we can to learn more about Jesus And all the things I just mentioned to you, we don't just have programs here at Mystic Creek. I don't think we have programs. We're not a program-driven church. We're a ministry-driven church, and there is a difference. We don't have 100 programs. We have ministries, and those ministries lead us closer to Christ and being who he's called us to be. That's why I wanted to just take some time this morning. Um, You know, how wonderful would it be for you ladies to invite a lady or more to attend one of your Bible studies. Men, I know you work with somebody. I know you know other men, maybe even some of your friends that aren't involved in a church or going to a Bible study. This would be a great way to invite them to study the book of Romans. Maybe one of the most poignant letters that Paul wrote, and we're going to get to study that for six straight weeks. And it doesn't hurt to know that our very first gathering, we're going to meet 30 minutes early, and we're going to have wings. Maybe that'll get you there. Um, so anyway, do you know, recently there was a, a there was a store that's part of a vast retail chain. You would know this retail chain. Very popular. We've got them in our area. And it labeled its Bibles as fiction. A pastor was shopping for a gift. He came across these Bibles And he saw that they were in the fiction section. And fiction was written on the price tag of the Bibles. It wasn't me, by the way, but it sounds like it was me. He took a picture and he posted it on social media with the comment, Name withheld has Bibles for sale under the genre of fiction. Now, the retailer later apologized, not right away, but they later apologized, saying the Bibles were mislabeled and the mistake had been corrected. Now, Sherry just read beautifully this passage from Second Peter. 
we would never find the Apostle Peter making a similar mistake. He was empathetic that he didn't create cleverly invented fiction, but wrote from the real-life angle of his eyewitness experiences. He saw Jesus. He knew Jesus. He witnessed what Jesus had done. And part of the reason that you and I have the New Testament, the Gospels today, is because of the eyewitnesses. As the disciples began to die out, and they did die out, the eyewitnesses, the followers of Jesus knew they had to record, whoa, all that's happening so that future generations would know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Lord of all. And thanks be to God that Paul chose to write his letters. He had no idea his letters would go out to all the world eventually and become canonized as Scripture and make up three-quarters of the New Testament. Listen to this passage, 2 Peter verse 1, 16 through 18. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. In other words, the Bible is grounded in historical truth. At the transfiguration, God affirmed Jesus as his son. Philip said, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, Matthew 17, 1 through 9, a great passage. And whatever the prophets wrote, it wasn't the product of the author's own understanding or from human initiative. Ensuring the accuracy and reliability of what was written, the human authors were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 21. In fact, the Holy Spirit guided different people of diverse backgrounds to reveal God's inspired truth. So as he wrote of the power and trustworthiness of Scripture, Peter affirmed their authority to speak into our lives. He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mark six fifteen. Preach the gospel to all creation. As Christians and as the church... Our worldly vision quest, and we're on this vision quest. We're in a series now called Vision Quest. Our worldly vision quest has come to an end. We've had a revelation, a God vision, that Jesus alone is the answer to our desperate need for love, for truth, for meaning, for purpose, for life, and God. He alone fills every hole, meets every need, breaks every chain, and delivers us completely. This old life, this old quest for what we used to be has ended and a new one has begun. I will never be the same. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I will never be the same. This is what we talk about, what we sing about, put on our bumper stickers, our t-shirts, but do we truly believe this? Are we clear on this? Is this the message the church is telling and modeling for the world to see? We must be clear on it ourselves because if we're not, the world will not be all the more. It should cause us to assess 
why so many churches sound like self-help gatherings for happier, healthier, more comfortable, and a more successful, better you. A pep talk hour, a pep talk 30 minutes or 40 minutes or so. I listened to a pastor the other day, and a great pastor, on a podcast. You might think 20 or 30 minutes is a long time for a message sometimes. His message was 58 minutes long. A sermon. The worship was 44 minutes long, and the prayer was 10 minutes long. That was one service. I skipped through a lot of it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> like you're doing right now, uh, watching online. But anyway, did I just say that? Yes, I did. So the, the point is... This is not knocking any church or anybody or any preacher, but we have to be careful that we're not just offering some self-help, make you feel good, hear what you want to hear, so you leave out all bubbly, but come Monday, everything will not be all right. You remember the song, come Monday, it'll be all right. You You could keep singing if you want, but don't do it, because come Monday, you might not even remember what the scripture was or what the prayer was, or what the worship song was, what the title of the message was. You just know, I felt good. And will that get you through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? That's why it's so important for us to gather outside of corporate worship together in prayer, in Bible study, in fellowship. Hebrews says, don't let us give up on being together. We need each other. It's so important if we're going to have the vision that God wants us to. To have. So why do so many churches in America aspire to have a large crowd and a big show? A large crowd and a big show does not necessarily signify a healthy church. The question is, are people being discipled? Are they leaning more and more into Jesus? Do their lifestyles match the life of Jesus? Are they loving like Jesus? Do they see through the eyes? As Peter said in his first sermon, May we see through your eyes. May our actions represent your actions. May we remain sane and sober. That's the question. Do big congregations and a big show, does this equal disciples or transform lives? Statistically, no. We should be alarmed that so many in the church are still broken, in bondage, anxious, disturbed, undone, consumeristic, and narcissistic. And I'm not talking about new converts. There's a breakdown when so many who identify as Christians identify more with their temptations, their struggles, their brokenness and pain than with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the new creation, the new covenant, and the abundant life that Jesus provided. We have a major problem when so many people openly behave and affirm things Scripture clearly says are wrong. Thought I'd get at least one amen on that. Let me say it again. You need some preaching today, don't you? We have a major problem when so many people openly behave and affirm things Scripture clearly says are wrong. Preachers do it. Teachers do it. Sunday school teachers, youth workers, podcasts. It's full of it. I hear it all the time. And yet we just openly receive it. It must be true because... He said it, or it came from that church, or that book, or that author. How is Jesus our healer, our deliverer, our redeemer, Savior, and Lord? How is he our peace and joy and life? 
What's the message that we're sending to the world? In my opinion, the church is sending a blurry and confusing one that brings shame to Jesus. The world already has their problems, pain, brokenness, and bondage. They already have their idols of image and power and pleasure and wealth and health and love and relationships and entertainment and education and religion and charity and justice and success and glory. And the list goes on and on and on. And they serve and they worship and they give themselves to all these things to find that these things are not enough. So they pursue more things and more things and more things. And they stay unsatisfied, unfulfilled, unhappy, and then they get a message of feel good, and they're like, well, it is about me. I'm supposed to feel happy all the time, so I'll go do this and buy this and go here and go there, and they stay in that vicious cycle of never being truly satisfied. They are still as messed up, broken, lost, and empty as ever, only more so. It's why they keep bouncing from one wrong to the next. Sometimes bouncing from one church to the next, one friend to the next, one spouse to the next, bouncing, bouncing, one school to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, trying to find themselves. So that's why when they look at the church today, they see nothing of any value, nothing real different. So why would they want to commit to something that clearly isn't working for arguably most of those who claim it works? Are they any nicer, any kinder, more gracious, merciful, free, loving, helpful, sacrificial, giving, odd, different, other? And these last three descriptives are listed intentionally. Odd, different, other. Let me ask you this. If a person goes to the doctor for an illness and the prescribed treatment doesn't work, then we have the common sense to say it doesn't work, and we need to do something different, right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting the same results. Are you living in that, vice, that vicious circle? Probably are, you know? I'm going to tell you, folks, it doesn't work when you eat a Big Mac and you follow it up with a Slim Fast shake and think you're going to lose weight. You don't eat the Big Mac. You just drink the Slim Fast Shake, and you remain starving the whole day. It's the truth. You know it's true. You drink the diet beverage thinking, I'm no sugar here, but you have even a more taste for a big old bowl of ice cream. And David Potts doesn't make it any easier because we've got a freezer downstairs full of ice cream. Do you know how tempt- tempting it is when I come to the church knowing that, David? Especially today, the youth group's getting three different flavors. <laughs> That'll wake you up a little bit. But do you see what I'm getting at, folks? The world has that common sense. They do. They have that common sense. Go to the doctor and this is not working. I need to try something different. The world has that common sense and they're looking at the church saying, you Christians say how great the Jesus thing is, but it doesn't seem to be working for you. We don't see a difference except you are a religious version of idolatry. Now, that is not Misty Creek in any way, shape, or form. But it's what I'm observing in the church as a whole, in the culture today, folks. And it's not a good trend. 
It sounds a lot like what Timothy Keller points out. He says this, both religion and irreligion are ultimately spiritually identical courses to take. They, the religious, are more unhappy than either mature Christians or irreligious people, and they do a lot more spiritual damage. Let me unpack that a little bit because he didn't unpack it too much there. We, the church, must repent and return to the gospel and lordship of the resurrected, crucified Jesus Christ. We cannot omit any of the scriptures of the 66 books that Lolly mentioned in her prayer today. We cannot say the Old Testament is archaic and is out with the times. We cannot. Do you know how many times that Jesus references the Old Testament? The big word that Eric loves, soteriological, what does that mean? It's a fancy seminary word. It's about the redemptive plan of love that God brought forth with the beginning of creation in Genesis all the way to the very end of Revelation. We need the entire word of God. We do not need to piecemeal it, compromise it, use only what we like. You know, if you were to cut out only what you liked in your Bible, how many pages would be left? I mean, really? How many pages would be left in your Bible? Say, I don't have to do that. I have it on my phone. Well, if you highlight it and you cut it, what would it be like? Can you believe somebody's actually calling me? Who's 470-437-8444? Must be a real emergency. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, get on with it. You know, it does have, there is two sevens in that number. If there were three, I'd be scared. So think about this for a moment. Doug, you can come make your way on up here. Um, Christianity. Christianity. At one time, historically, folks, was so compelling that it infiltrated almost every nature, nation and culture. Every nation, nation, can't say that word today, nation and culture, though not converting every person who came in contact with Christianity, it quickly became and remains the world's largest religion. But it's become a religion, as John Wesley would say, religion is just a word that means a Having a relationship. Now, okay, Christianity without Christ is basically what he was saying. How can you have Christianity without Christ? You can't. But that's what religion is. Religion is going through motions and and not not knocking traditions by any means. But you're leaving Christ out. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? You see, Christianity at one time, captured the hearts and lives of the educated and uneducated, the wealthy and the poor, slave, free, male and female. It was so compelling that followers of Jesus would abandon all fears, all passions, pleasures, possessions, positions, and would give themselves to the advancement of the gospel at all costs. They were sold out. There was a time, there was a, a movement back in the, the 70s and early 80s called the lay witness movement. There was a movement called the, the Jesus Revolution. You remember those? Camp meetings and revivals, tents up everywhere, you know? We're starting to see little pockets of this, like on the campus of Auburn University, 
in Asbury and other colleges. And isn't that beautiful when we see that? But isn't it interesting when a football coach or a school or a program shares vocally that their program, their school, is led by Christian principles? Then they're ridiculed, thrown under the bus. Like, there's no place for that in football. There's no place for that in college. But geez, these students are rising up and saying, yes, there is a place for this. What better place to have the power of the Holy Spirit on our college campuses and in our schools and having prayer back in the hallways again, not just one time a year out in front of the flagpole an hour before school starts, but every day of every school year. At a time where the U.S. church has some of the most talented leaders, spectacular presentations, magnificent facilities, and effective need-meeting ministries. What has happened that has robbed, this is a strong word, what has happened that has robbed and neutered the American church of its power and kept it from growing, especially when the church is exploding outside of the U.S., predominantly in places with far less resources? and talents in favor. Brothers and sisters, the revelation, vision of God in Christ and Christ in us puts us on a whole new quest in a whole new way, far greater than any religious program or show or facility or speech. We are not the same person. We are a new creature in Christ. And He defines who we are and whose we are. He writes our story. We're not the same person. We are a new creature in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity, a new orientation, a new nature, a new mind, a new wisdom, a new knowledge, a new home, a new family, a new function, a new freedom, a new peace, a new love, a new joy, a new life. Not just a few things have changed. Everything has changed. Everything. And yet the beauty of James 1.17, he says... For he never changes. He doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He remains forever constant, forever the same. For he is the Father, the Father of lights. And every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And he does not change. But what he does when he captures our hearts, he transforms us, our minds, our spirits, our wills, our very hearts are transformed more into His likeness. So I would say not just everything has changed, everything has transformed. Do we believe this? Is this reality what defines and directs us? Is this the good news we're proclaiming in word and deed to the world? Is this the vision of ministry God has called us to? If we're really serious about this transformation, then let's go through this transformation together. You got your little cards? Flip it over to the other side. It's another prayer that's come from the wake-up call from Seedbed and my wonderful 
friend, J.D. Walton. Yes, I know him personally. Thank you so much. Prayer of transformation. We've got it up here for the online viewers. Do not repeat this prayer if you're not ready for Jesus Christ himself through his Holy Spirit to transform your wounded heart. Look at it. Read through it a little bit. And I'm going to lead us through it. But our hearts need to be right. Our attitudes need to be right. You know, speaking of the game of life, we found this in sports, haven't we? You not only need to have a good attitude to play on a team, you need to have a good heart. And if your heart belongs to Jesus, there's nothing nor no one that can separate you from him. And you're always an overcomer. You're always a conqueror if you have Jesus Christ. So even if you lose the football game or the dance recital or whatever it is or the job, you're always a winner in Christ. For this too shall pass. And he's opening up another door for you. And step by step, he will lead you as long as you follow him all the days of your life. When I go to say this prayer, and I've been saying it every day, I become eclamped with emotion. And I realize this isn't, this isn't me. This is what God is doing through me. I'm just acknowledging that he's the miracle worker. Here we go. Let's stand and do it. Lord Jesus, I am your witness. I receive your righteousness and release my sin. I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your creativity and release my chaos. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your rest and release my striving. Come, Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that my consecration becomes your demonstration, that my life becomes your sanctuary for the glory of God, my Father. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe God is doing something. When you say that prayer, even if you're not fully sure of it, that he's going to convict you. He's going to transform your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. You know, this whole weekend, it started at the end of the week, is a high and holy weekend for our Jewish brothers and sisters, Rosh Hashanah. This marks the beginning of the Jewish New Year, the Jewish calendar. It's a 10-day period of prayer and repentance as they pray for the, prepare for the, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And you know, we are Judeo-Christians. We have a rich Jewish history. And for whatever reason, we, we don't observe, many of us don't observe these high and holy festivals and feasts and special occasions. But as I told our teenagers this morning, there's an opportunity for us too as Christians because we know the rest of the story and we've been redeemed. We can celebrate Rosh Hashanah and acknowledge, you know, we're almost halfway through the year. We can start brand new today keeping our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus Christ. We can say to each other, Shana Tova, which means, what does it mean? You remember teenagers? 
good new year or happy new year. And for us to remember this, today you're invited, after we have our benediction here after the, the final song, to go downstairs to the basement. There are some fresh sliced apples down there. My wife sliced every bit of them. It's a lot of apples to slice. She had a pampered chef cheat thing she used, and I'll just go ahead and tell you that. And there's honey down there. And to symbolize the sweetness of a new year, the Jewish people will have apples and honey. So you're invited to go downstairs after the service, get you an apple or more, and dip it into that honey and taste and see how good God is. And be ready for this transformation, this new beginning starting right now, right here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.